I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog, here with my good friend and colleague, Mr. Sean Latimer. Good morning. Talking about your favorite subject today, pizza. And Roth conversions. And Roth conversions. <laughs> I really wanted to name the article Fermentation and Taxation, but... You might I, lose people right at the title, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that would hit. So uh, Sean knows about this, and we've made a lot of jokes at lunchtime in the office. I have a new obsession, and it is with pizza dough. I love... Uh, our, our. We moved into a new house about a year ago. It has a, a brick oven outside, and that was one of the reasons I wanted this house. But I've never used the brick oven, so I just started using it a few weeks ago and kind of become obsessed with studying um, ingredients for making your own pizza dough, how hot you get the pizza oven, timing behind all that stuff, and it's just been a blast. It's pretty funny, too, because one of our friends that we go to lunch with a lot is a chef in a past life, so he knows a lot about cooking. And when this first came up, he kind of chuckled and said, well, yeah, just go buy the dough already made. And, And Trevor's like, no, that's like half the fun is figuring it out. But it does seem like a lot of work. Oh, it is a lot of work. I have people coming over tonight for pizzas, and I started uh, last night. I made the dough, and then this morning, before I went to basketball at like four forty-five a.m., I was prepping some of those things. But it is so fun. Just picturing you with your like chemistry set, like getting it all set up. <laughs> exactly. So there is a science behind it, right? Like there's a ton of times I've messed up with the dough, and what I've learned is that a lot of this stuff has to do with timing, right? Like uh, this idea of proofing, how, how long you're going to leave the dough and, and that fermentation process. And um, it, it changes the texture and the flavor of the pizza. And I'm sure I'm losing some people on that, w- which is fine. But there's this concept in, in life that timing is everything. And one of my other favorite things at work lately, and I've shared it with you because I'm a little bit of a nerd, is our software for financial planning has a new calculator where it helps to visually calculate Roth conversions. And because I have this obsession with pizza dough and now Roth conversions, I'm like, oh, both of these things has a whole lot to do with timing. Yeah, it's interesting because people that bring up Roth conversions, normally they're later in life. And it's actually at a time in their life where it's maybe less impactful because they don't have that time on their side where they can see the benefit. And I know you mentioned in your article that you know, if something's a good decision or bad decision, you normally don't realize it until hindsight. But uh, having this calculator does make it a lot easier to model that out. And uh, it does take, you know, there's a few different factors that, that need, like almost like boxes you need to check to make sure that it does make sense. But uh, I think you're about to get into those categories now. Yeah, I think what ends up happening is there's a personal finance section in the Wall Street Journal, and it's going to rotate through different topics, right? backdoor Roth contributions, super backdoor Roth contributions, Roth conversions. And sometimes it's going to make these blanket statements. So people naturally ask the question, should I be thinking about this? Mm -hmm. Should I be doing this? So one place that I want to start out for people, when you're talking about a Roth conversion, let's talk about practically what it is, right? You're moving money from your traditional retirement account or 401k, right? That is pre-tax money. Meaning in the future, when you take a distribution, it is going to add to your ordinary income, and it is going to be taxable. When you talk about a Roth conversion, it is converting some of those dollars, could be all of those dollars, from the pre-tax account to the Roth account, right? The nice thing about the Roth is that money will grow tax-free and distribute tax-free out of the Roth. And somebody might ask, well, that's too good to be true. Why wouldn't everybody do it? Because when you do the conversion, whatever you're converting counts as ordinary income. So you'll be 
tax on that income. So here's where I'm going to simplify it. If you can come to a conclusion with a high level of confidence that when you do that conversion, you will pay less taxes today than you will pay tomorrow or some future time, then it's worth considering. Does that resonate with you? Yeah. And the kind of the sweet spot is if they have some sort of time in between maybe peak earning years and before um, true retirement income starts, you know, uh, Social Security required minimum distributions. And uh, the, the reason why someone would want to do it is maybe they can fill up that current tax bracket that they're in, a, a lower tax bracket than they were during their peak earning years, and a lower tax bracket of what it'll be when their RMDs start. Because if they have a, a large IRA balance, their RMDs are going to become a pretty big number about five or six years in, and it's going to force them to take out more than they probably want to and push them into a higher tax bracket anyways. And I think the thing that people don't talk about is we're going to be using static numbers of what income tax rates are today. Uh, I think most people agree that taxes aren't going down in the future. If anything, they're going to be going up. And so it would make that tax bill even bigger. Yeah, and one thing Sean's touching in on, on here because we want to you know, make this available for all listeners, right? He's talking about this idea of required minimum distributions, three very long words. So we call them RMDs. Uh, So with an RMD, all it means under current tax law is that when somebody reaches age 73, all that pre-tax account that you've been able to defer the taxes, Uncle Sam is going to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, now you're required to take out this much. Let's call it 4%. It's not the exact number. You can go on the IRS website to do the calculation. But let's say somebody had $2 million in a a 401k that's now a a rollover IRA, right? At 4%, Uncle Sam is tapping you and saying, hey, you got to distribute $80,000 from this account. Maybe you don't need that $80,000, but it's going to show up on your tax bill, Mm -hmm. right? And and that's the part where really, if, if our job is to teach you how to think, when you're really thinking about a Roth conversion, you're going through this uh, thought process of either I, the investor, I'm going to decide um, when that money comes out and at what rate it's going to be taxed at, or I'm going to let the government do that for me via a required minimum distribution. So what Sean's talking about is that, hey, this hypothetical person, if they're able to stop working at 55 and they have you know seven years till they're going to claim social security and whatever you know uh, eighteen years until their minimum distributions. Is there a window in there because they're no longer in their peak earning years where they can start moving some of this money from the traditional IRA to the Roth IRA? That's not a back of the napkin calculation. So one of the things I should have been more intentional in the article talking about is that we have this new calculator, which I'm just obsessed with right now, that um, the software does it for you. You can tell the software, hey, um, fill up these tax brackets for the next 10 years, and let's do a side-by-side comparison on what my total tax bill is if I live till you know this certain age. When Sean and I are talking about filling up the tax bracket, what we mean is that we have a marginal tax system, meaning that there's these breakpoints where the next dollar you earn is going to be taxed at a new rate, right? Maybe those breakpoints start at 12%, and then after you break some threshold, then it's 22%. And then after you break some threshold, it's 24%. Then you break another threshold, it's 32%. Now, one thing you'll notice when I go through those numbers, if you're going from the 22% bracket to the 24% bracket, it's a slight jump. It's not not significant. But that 24% bracket to the 32% bracket, big difference maker, Mm -hmm. right? Now all of a sudden you're paying an extra 8%. 
So what Roth conversions really are about is how can I ink the best deal with Uncle Sam on how much of the dollar I get to keep, right? Let's say you don't do any conversions and, you know, how things play out, you keep 80 cents on the dollar. Is there a way you can craft a scenario where you keep 84 cents on the dollar? That can be meaningful when we're talking about large dollar amounts. And you really do need to be kind of committed to the planning process because uh, there can be a little bit of sticker shock uh, because, as Trevor mentioned, if you do the Roth conversions, you're paying income taxes now. And you're typically not taking that money out of the IRA to pay it, so you need to have the, the cash on hand to be able to pay it each year. And if you want to be aggressive, because the calculator does a really good job at showing how much money you'll save, but every year that you do more, you have to be able to write a check every year. And that can be kind of a sticker shock. I've noticed in some of those conversations where they go, I know this is for the greater good, right? They almost need like constant convincing. And so it's important that, that, that everyone's on the same page. Well, that's a good segue. I wrote down four questions you should ask yourself, and I'm going to skip to uh, number two because you're kind of touching on it. When you do these Roth conversions, there's going to be a break-even point. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that technically it's not a net benefit to you on day one, right? So let's say with this hypothetical person, we make a strategy where they're going to do conversions for seven years in a row, right? Starting at making this up, right? Starting at the age uh, 65. You know, they're going to do it for seven years in a row until they start minimum distributions. It might be true for that scenario that the the net tax savings might not come in until somebody's 81 years old, mm -hmm. right? So I think for clarity, using the visual, like the calculator we use, to basically show and answer these four questions, right? First question, if I do this conversion, will it create a lifetime tax savings. Granted, you don't know how long you're going to live. So you can toggle that. You can say if you live to 100 or 90. The nice thing is if you have a spouse, it, it does depend on both lives because you know the spouse is going to inherit the retirement account. So if I do this conversion strategy, will it create a lifetime tax savings? You know, is, is, would, would a reasonable person believe that based on these assumptions? Number two, when is my break-even point? If your break-even point is, is 88 years old, and you don't have the mindset that you want to create a benefit for your heirs, you really need to feel it and taste it in your lifetime, you might not want to do it, right? The third question I put is, um, what impact does this conversion have on my heirs? Remember, they changed the tax code recently. It, it, now, for somebody inheriting a retirement account, they have 10 years to distribute that money. So if your 50-year-old children are inheriting $2 million in a retirement account, and they're in their peak earning years, and they have to distribute that within 10 years, uh, they're not going to ink a good deal with Uncle Sam, mm -mm. right? Uncle Sam might be keeping 35 cents on the dollar. So again, I'm thinking, hey, is there a lifetime savings for me? When is the break-even point? How does it impact my heirs? And then the fourth one some people don't consider is, are you going to move out of state, right? Because if you're in California and you do conversions now and you're committing to pay California tax and then you end up in Nevada or Tennessee or Texas, you made a bad deal, right? So you have to conscious of that. In some states have um, allotments for even uh, how distributions from retirement accounts are treated. So I, I think those four questions, if you get a positive answer on all four of those, it's worth considering, right? It's not a slam dunk, right? Like Sean said, is this is one of those decisions that you only know if it's the best decision in hindsight. 
Have you had any scenarios where um, someone's really excited about the Roth conversion calculator and, and they want to be really aggressive and then you start to run the numbers and then you realize it, it doesn't make sense? Yeah. So I would say this. I've done a lot of scenarios where the break-even point is pretty far off. So then you have to ask yourself, do you care about the impact it's going to have for your heirs? I would argue you should because you earned that money and reality is your heirs are going to inherit some of that money. And under that current tax law with that 10-year window, that's a pretty aggressive – I mean, imagine. We can do the math real quick. So if there's $2 million and there's you know two people inheriting it, so somebody's getting $1 million and they have to do it over 10 years. Let's say they do it equally. They don't mm-hmm. have to. Let's say they do it. Adding $100,000 of income uh, to somebody that's probably already in the – I don't, I, not At probably. the marginal rate, which is going to be higher, most likely higher than 24%. Yeah. So you start to do the math on it. It's it's a significant amount of more money going to the IRS. Uh, smart on them for changing the tax code to that, that 10-year window. And I've got to think that that should put a planner, uh, an investor, with a little bit more pressure to say, I need to consider how this is going to be taxed in the long run. So just for clarity, the people that maybe the break-even point is pretty far out, um, the benef- initial benefit may not be to them, but it may be to their beneficiaries. That That's kind of the angle? Yeah, what you'll see, uh, and that's why it's fun to run the illustration and, and kind of see how it impacts. For somebody living into their, let's say the break-even point's at 81, right? Uh, but somebody's living in your illustration to 95 or to 90, those 9 or 10 years after that break-even point creates significant tax savings, um, typically creates significant additional amount to somebody's net worth. But the the kicker, like you're alluding to, is it's also really beneficial to legacy and heirs um, if if somebody's intent is to, to try to lower the lifetime tax bill for those pre-tax dollars. And then if you, if you have someone who, um, let's say their retirement plan's kind of tight and uh, they have like, just enough for their own retirement, do you almost look at this as like, hey, let's not get cute. Let's stick to your plan and not think about the what ifs, you know, 10 years from now or for your future beneficiaries? Or uh, does it still make sense for someone who is maybe on the margin? No, I think you're exactly right. I like the language you used about not get too cute. This stuff is planning and planning is not a perfect science because, as I put in the article, you've got to deal with a lot of variables. So you start making assumptions about how long you're going to live and rates of return, and future tax rates, a reasonable person could assume X, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen. So I, I would probably side with you that you have to prioritize from a risk mitigation standpoint that you have a, you know, a quote-unquote viable or safe plan before you try to do these things that are um, on-the-margin improvements. That makes sense. I, I think what I've seen too is once people have like a robust balance sheet, and they kind of know, like, okay, I'm not going to run out of money. And, um, you know, my estate plan is in place. And, and I'm, the risk mitigation is there. Then that conversation turns into, like, what else could I be doing? And and that's when I normally think of, like, Roth conversions or uh, what type of tax strategies out there. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it because it's a, this idea of prioritizing. You know, you and I both serve a lot of uh, Generation 2, right, um, which are, you know, children of clients that maybe call it emerging wealth. And I think you and I have a similar approach. We start with that person and say, uh, you know, do you have a clear understanding of how much you're spending? 
then how much are you saving per year? What do your investments look like? Right? We go through this list of like, here's the biggest needle movers, and this is like finance 101. Once somebody's checked all those boxes, then you go into the things that can be, um, you know, a little bit more esoteric. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. We talked about this a lot in the past, but some advisor groups, they, they care so much about the planning that they almost lead with that. And they sometimes miss like the, the, the basics, you know, they get so excited about tax loss harvesting or Roth conversions and, and it's going to be great. But then if the uh, client say is in thirties and peak earning years and doesn't have a lot saved yet, uh, those things don't move the needle very much. Yeah. I mean, we talked about my obsession with uh, pizza dough and Roth conversion calculators. You got to be careful about those obsessions because I've seen it where somebody starts reading books and articles about um, social security claiming strategies. And I'm like, important. Yes. But I want to remind you, not life changing for your plan. Right. So if you're over there having, you know, a, a very uh, messy portfolio and you have no idea what your expenses are and you don't have a grasp on taxes yet you're obsessing over um, social security claiming strategies you probably missed the priority list on financial planning yeah that's the other thing too is um traditional planning isn't always fun to talk about savings investment management stocks bonds but uh when you think you come across something new or uh, the, the hidden gem that that can normally you know steal your attention yeah, um, 100%. And uh, there is this idea of um, things that are, you know, David calls shiny objects or, or, or intriguing or, you know, I had a meeting with our tax team the other day and there is this sense that people are always looking for that black magic, like, um, you know, tell me something that nobody's ever told me before on how I'm going to save on taxes. Yeah, maybe, maybe there's something, but, um, you know, if, if you want to be upright, there's probably limitations on, on how much you're going to move the needle there. Yeah, it's funny you call it black magic. That just makes me think like gray area, probably not the best idea. <laughs> yeah. So I, the other thing I think people need to consider is that there is a world where Roth conversions have kind of fell into this idea of, you know, a, a retiree um, executing this between now and when they take minimum distributions. There's also a huge estate planning side of this. You know, if you have... Uh, a sizable estate, you know, call it in the right zip code north of $26 million, right? Under current tax code, um, from an estate tax standpoint, there is a significant tax um, to your heirs when you have over that particular threshold. So if you have a three or four or $5 million pre-tax retirement account, does it make sense to do conversions, even if you're in the highest tax bracket? Because maybe you're always going to be in the highest tax bracket. But then it lowers your taxable estate and avoids that that forty percent that's kind of staring you down. That's another side of looking at Roth conversions and where it can be meaningful. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that. So again, if it was my choice, I wouldn't have talked about pizza dough at all. But I think that I um, kind of have to draw people in a little bit. There's so much to expand on this topic, and one of the things I mentioned at the end, it is one of these things of don't try this at home alone, right? Use a professional. I think you can go through the four questions I gave you to narrow down, is this th- something that could potentially make sense for me? But I-, I think you have to do some some actual scenario planning. I think you have to see the visual. And I think you have to look at the pros and cons. I don't think I've looked at many cases where it's an absolute slam dunk. Um, somebody would have to understand, here's the potential benefit I'm going to glean in the long run. Here is 
the risks or downsides that could be there. So a conversation worth having, uh, a conversation you should have alongside a professional, and uh, one that you have to be considerate about the variables that you're factoring in. Yeah, that, that's a really good point because I've had this conversation before where we use the calculator and we look at different scenarios and they, uh, the client becomes convinced pretty quickly. Like, wow, this is great. Why don't we do more? Let's just do all of it. I don't, I don't want to have a, any traditional IRA balance. I want all of it to be in Roth. And then I have to kind of be like, whoa, whoa, time out. Look, that pushes you into paying, uh, like you said, it's a bad deal for you with Uncle Sam because then you're just committing to paying that higher tax rate now and instead of potentially paying it in the future. So you want to make sure that you run those scenarios and that it actually pencils out. Yeah, I mean, a good rule of thumb, and I mentioned the article, if you can ever punt paying taxes legally, you want to do it, right? So there has to be a convincing argument if you're going to pay taxes early. Uh, and, and that's what you have to factor in with these Roth conversions. The hard part, too, uh, I, I, I tell people to kind of temper their emotions a little bit because when you do the calculator, the first thing it's going to show you is if you live to 100, what your total lifetime tax savings is. And some of the calculations will be like a million dollars. And you're like, oh, I want to pay a million dollars less in taxes. And you're like, time out. Just keep in mind, this is over like 30 years. You also got to account for inflation, future value, present value. Um, and that's why that break-even point for me is very, very important because it, it helps to provide that ballast to say, if you live this long, Here's the potential lifetime tax savings. But if you do it, it'll take you this long to actually yield a benefit. So I think that gives you a, a full perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you find yourself on the execution side it getting confusing at times? Like I've heard uh, times where there's better, if depending on what the market's doing, there's better times of the year to do the conversion at a better time. Or or do you, do you try not to avoid that timing? Or how, how do you guys execute? Yeah, I get in trouble with that because, you know, I, I can even think of client conversations I've had. I have a rule and I'm not trying to be stubborn about it, but I really like doing it in December because, yes, there's times where maybe the market's puking in March or April. The only fear that I have, and maybe this is not a healthy fear, is that if some income comes in throughout the year that we didn't know about, uh, the recharacterization of those conversions is not a is not a simple feat. So for me, I feel like in December you have a pretty good grasp on what your tax situation is going to look like. So I like to do this as a cherry on top, like the last the last move. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what what Trevor meant is if you do the Roth conversion earlier in March because you're thinking, oh, valuations are down and I can put this money in the Roth now, and hopefully there's some sort of recovery or rebound, I get like a double benefit because that growth isn't taxed in the Roth. But what he's saying is the recharacterization is trying to undo the conversion if your income was higher than expected, and that is not fun to do at the end of the year. Yeah, I think about like my wife and I, we went to a, a client meeting uh, earlier this week and we stayed in a hotel, right? So I, I'm guessing you do the same thing. What's the last thing you do in the hotel? I don't know. Oh, well, I always search the room just in case we left any. Oh, like right? when you're checking out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I'm checking out. So I we pack everything up, get it kind of outside the room, and then you do one final scan, yep. right? Imagine if you did that final scan at the beginning. It, it wouldn't be super helpful, right? The idea is that you want everything out of the room. You want to have like full understanding of what's going on and then do that final check. For me, that's Roth conversions, is that by December, most I's have been dotted, T's have been crossed. You have a general idea, and then 
you know, maybe you do it in the last week of November, November, you have five or six weeks to kind of really figure out if you want to do this. And I'll add to that when you do this financial planning and, and maybe you figure out that your plan is a seven year strategy. The nice thing is you don't have to commit to that on day one. You could do conversions in the first year and then never do them again. So the nice thing about it is that each year you can do a new set of planning based on any variables that have changed. Yeah, if you end up having an inheritance or, or business, you start a side business and it's going well and your income's higher than expected, uh, that those are all reasons that the circumstances would change and you can change the strategy. Yeah, the thing I really want to push on is don't be surprised when you turn 73. Uh, you know, for, for people after 2033, it's 75. But don't be surprised when you turn 73 when those minimum distributions happen. Right, you have a sizable retirement account, which a lot of Americans do. Right, if if the pension went by the wayside, and now most people have a defined contribution plan, there are people, as you and I have seen, that have sizable pre-tax retirement accounts. Right, think of a four million dollar four hundred one k, and you're talking about four or five percent that needs to be distributed. That's adding, you know, two hundred thousand dollars of ordinary income. That's going to move you in tax brackets. So what I would say is that if you're an investor, I'm not giving you permission to be surprised at 73. You need to do some planning at 63 and understand what that future distribution is going to impact on your taxable income uh, because planning works really, really good when you can plan ahead. Yeah, that was a really good point because if you call it 73 and say, oh my gosh, what should I do? There aren't a lot of options. Yeah, exactly. You kind of ran out of options there. So. Anyway, uh, that's a good place for us to wrap it up. Uh, So if you're ever in town and you want to stop by and have the best pizza in the world, you can come on over. Sean's smiling because he doesn't believe me, but he hasn't had it yet. But my pizza is the best pizza in the world. (laughs) So, um, yeah, we will ask you to rate the podcast. Five stars are preferred. You can leave comments. um, And, of course, you can reach Sean or me, Trevor, uh, at Tom, T-O-M, at thebonsgroup.com. We're happy to answer your questions, um, take your feedback, and, um, yeah, encourage your friends to listen as well. Of course, we'll be back next week with more of our Thoughts Thoughts on on money. Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. 
This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.